right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. All right, just when I was ready to give up hope, right, just when I thought I was done, they pull me back in, Remy They've lost hope as well. That's so you're true. not dissimilar. Yeah. I guess that's right. When all else fails, when there is no hope left in the world, just uh, resort to the bottle. Remy Martin. It's a bad lesson to be learned. Two time first team all Pac 12 selection commits to Kansas. Former Arizona State standout. You saw him twice in 2018 and 2019, both times in a losing effort to Arizona State. Remy Martin is now your starting point guard. Not yet, not officially, because he hasn't signed with Kansas. KU hasn't officially commented on it. And aside from that, I guess it's no guarantee that he's actually going to be in crimson and blue. We'll get to that in a second. Average 19 points each of the last two years. Four assists per game for his career. He's a great shooter. He's a great scorer. Streaky shooter. Right. The, the percentages don't say that Remy Martin is an outstanding shooter, but... He took a lot of questionable shots. He was on some bad teams at Arizona State. So you'd imagine there's going to be some changes coming for his game, for his arrival in Lawrence. But this is a name that we've been circling ever since he entered the portal a couple of weeks ago. Or was that just last week? I think it was late uh, the week before. Played at Arizona State for four years. Actually tested the NBA draft waters last season. Returned to Arizona State. For a senior year, average 19 points, first team all Pac-12, but it was a really bad Pac-12 team. And if you ever watched late night Arizona State basketball, which you wouldn't have much reason to because the Pac-12 was pretty lousy this year. If you ever watched it, you would see a guy that when he was on, he was really good. When he was knocking down shots, he looked like one of the more dynamic guards in the country, but he was streaky. He, there would be a game where he'd come out and hit three threes to start the game and he'd miss his next seven turnover prone at times and it's easy for a guy who's really talented who's been there for four years who wants to be in the NBA can be easy to perhaps lose interest or lose focus when you know that the team's not going to accomplish anything that you want to but now he gets the opportunity for a fresh start if he winds up at Kansas he's still in the NBA draft and his dad Sam Martin said this to the athletic quote it's a matter, really, of just trying to hedge his bets a little bit, just to make sure he has some options. He's full bore, straight ahead on trying to get to the league. But if he doesn't do as well as he feels he will, or he should, and if he needs to use that extra year of eligibility, then he will. This was before he had actually committed to Kansas. This was back when he had just announced that he was entering his name into the transfer portal. So that quote from Remy Martin's dad would make you think that this is a kid who really, really, really wants to be in the NBA and going back to college for a fifth year is more of a fallback plan than anything else. And maybe it is. Right now, Remy Martin not showing up on any mock drafts. 
I mean, you mentioned yesterday Sam Vecini of The Athletic has him not even in his top 100 of draft prospects. So, I mean, that, there could be a third round. They have two rounds of the NBA draft. They could add an extra round, and he still wouldn't be a selection. That's not to say that he wouldn't be, but that's just, you know, one mock draft's opinion. And you can go and read scouting reports on this guy, and they're all going to kind of tell you the same thing. When he's on, he's really good, right? When he's knocking down shots, he looks like an NBA point guard. He can be very dynamic. He's crafty, getting to the lane, distributing, making shots for others. But when the shot's not falling or when he gets a little bit loose with it, maybe gets a little bit ahead of himself on some of these drives, he's undersized. He's only six feet tall, so he's not going to be a guy who's going to consistently score over length inside in the teeth of the defense. Then he doesn't look as apt to make the jump to the professional level. Aside from that, He's an average defender, average to below average. He's not going to be somebody who is consistently going to lock up the other team's point guard. Honestly, from a college perspective, if you're playing for Bill Self, I know we always say that that is a necessity. You have to be a defensive-minded player to play for Bill Self. You do, but you kind of just assume he's going to bring the best out of these guys. He does consistently, year in, year out, bring the best. I mean, last year's team on paper should not have been a great defensive team, but by the end of the year, what they have? One of the elite defenses in college basketball. So, honestly, who cares? I do not care that this guy's a below-average defender. I don't think it's going to impact his ability to play consistently at Kansas. The NBA might care, though. That might be the difference between he, him being a late second-round pick and not getting drafted. And that could be the difference between him staying in the draft and coming to Kansas for a fifth year. Here's what Remy Martin told Matt Tate of the LJ World last night. Quote, I'm definitely going to see how this process plays out, and as soon as that happens, I'll kind of know more. It's kind of weird to say, hopefully I don't make it to the league so I can play at KU, but I'm really excited for what the future holds. Who says that? Who says that if they're not planning on being at Kansas next year? It's kind of weird to say, hopefully I don't make it to the league so I can play at KU. Now, maybe this guy is is a master of using his words and using the right rhetoric for the right people, knowing that this message will reach all these people in Kansas. So, to appease them for the next six, seven weeks while he decides to make uh, or tries to make his decision. But, I mean, it's kind of a strange line for somebody who is planning on staying in the NBA. I kind of hope, I, I hope I don't make it to the league so I can play at KU. That's like a, a student being like, I kind of hope I fail all my classes so I can stay for a fifth year. Mm-hmm. What do you think the chances are that he actually stays in the draft? Uh, I mean, I guess there's always a chance of something, but like, okay, how about this? This is a better way of viewing it. Between him, Jalen, and Ochai, who now become three KU players who have their name in the draft, how would you rank that in order of most likely to leave versus most likely to come back? I would say Ochai would probably be the most likely to leave. Jalen second, and I would almost say Remy Martin's third. Yeah, somebody said, uh, somebody asked me last night, well, you, don't, you don't think Ochai or Jalen stay? And I said, no, I think it's probably 70%, 70-30 that Ochai comes back, 90-10 that Jalen comes back. You know, I'm just throwing numbers out there. And then somebody asked me, well, you don't think Ochai, no, no overseas for Ochai? Which, I don't know where this stuff, <laughs> who is disseminating this information? Is this, I don't know, maybe it's just one guy asking the question. But whenever I hear a weird idea like that, 
I always assume there's somebody on a message board somewhere saying it might happen. There's a message board post that somebody says, you know, I'm, I'm hearing people in Ochai's camp. My dad, my dad, uh, is, uh, my mom's a dental assistant for Ochai's aunt's best friend who says that he apparently is, if he doesn't get drafted, he's just going to go play overseas. By the way, Remy Martin's dad in the interview with the athletics said, I'm not going to speak for my son, but I think he would be better suited to go to school for another year than to go play overseas. That's just one guy. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there is a message board rumor out there that says Ochai is going to go overseas. I haven't certainly heard anything of the likes, and I almost feel guilty for even breathing it onto these airwaves because now there's somebody who hadn't heard it either who's going to think, really, could that happen? Uh, I guess it could. But, I mean, if I say there's a 70-30 chance that Ochai comes back to school... That's still a 30% chance he leaves. You know, if the weatherman says there's a 30% chance of rain today and it rains, you're not going to say, what the hell, man? You said it was only 30%. Yeah, there's a chance. There's a chance that Ochai stays in the draft. Uh, I don't see it happening. Ochai is probably the most attractive prospect of the three of them. And Remy Martin, I mean, you're six foot. You're a senior. You're not a freak athlete. You're not super long. You're not a... plus defender. You're not a knockdown dead-eye shooter. So, I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see what teams, and aside from that, and again, I'm not trying to knock the kick, because as a KU fan, I'm very excited. Yeah, great college player. I'm very excited that KU has him. He makes them tangibly better, and obviously, we're going to talk a lot about that. This is a guy who, if you go back and watch some of the games from Arizona State, you will probably ask the question in moments like, how how into this game is he? Right? Like, how much is he really interested in what's going Because, I mean, this is an 11-14 and 14 team. Right. And it's not so, just a situation of, oh, they're 11-14 and 14 and they had Remy Martin and a bunch of dudes. Like, they had Marvin Bagley's little brother, who could be like a late first, early second round draft pick. They have uh, Josh Christopher, mm-hmm. I think is the kid's name, yeah. who he's going to probably be an NBA draft pick as well. Like, you had talent on that squad. They were a top 25 team to start the season. But it didn't work out, obviously. So, you would understand how a kid could grow frustrated of his time and say, I am I am wasting away here. Like, this is a year. You thought about going to the pros, didn't work out, and now you're back on a bad team that's not going to the tournament, and you just sort of wonder, what, you know, what am I doing here? Which would make sense as to why he would want to transfer out and go somewhere else. And if you're a guy who is clearly set on the NBA. Kansas is probably not the worst place for you. you got a coach who has a track record of sending a lot of guys to play professional basketball, whether it be in the league or overseas. And you've got a program that's going to play on national television 15, 20 times a year. You, know, you go from playing 10, 11 p.m. Pac-12 network when everybody's going to sleep to all of a sudden primetime at a blue blood for a chance to compete for a national championship. Because that's it right there, man. This is the missing piece that Kansas was looking for. All offseason, what did we say? Kansas needs a dynamic guard. You just got it. You just got it. In fact, if we went back to the beginning of the offseason, right when the transfer portal was at fever pitch, there were 1,500 kids in at one time, and it just felt like, the wild, wild west was beginning right in front of your eyes. Marcus Carr was out there. 
Um, I remember the first guy we talked about was that Tyson Walker kid from Northeastern. Uh, Joe Yesifu was immediately sort of one of those names out there. You go back to the very beginning, put Remy Martin's name in instead of when he did, which was sort of when everything had calmed down a little bit. He's likely a top three player on the open market. And that's with knowing that he's only going to be in school for one year. Like some of those other kids, you'd say, oh, you get him for three years, like Bryce Thompson. McDonald's All-American last year, you get him for three years. How about that right there? If I told you, or if I told Bill Self, you can either have the rest of Bryce Thompson's collegiate career. Who knows how long that could be? It could be one more year. It could be three more years. You get the rest of his career, or you get Remy Martin for what you know is only going to be one season. If you're Bill Self, you make that swap for Remy Martin without thinking twice. Well, it's also kind of a an odd trade there because of the fact that, you know, this isn't like an NFL trade where you trade a guy and he's under contract three years versus a guy who's under contract one year, and then it's like, oh, no, I'm going to lose him. I'm not going to have anything back. If you lose that one player after the one year, you're still going to use that scholarship on another player. So you can't even just view it as that. You can't just view it as three years of Bryce Thompson or one year of Remy Martin. You have to view it as three years of Bryce Thompson or one year Remy Martin with two extra scholarship years to bring on another grad transfer or another freshman, right? Mm -hmm. And then that makes that even more of a hands-on Yeah, but yeah, not even knowing like who that other player is going to be. Because that's what I'm saying. Like You could lose after this year if Remy Martin, you know, or I guess he would be leaving because he'd be graduating um, or exhausting his eligibility. You lose Remy Martin after this year, who's to say that open scholarship doesn't turn into another Remy Martin? You know, sure. I mean, that's that's best case scenario. Right. I think even aside from that, it's as simple as we already knew what KU had in tow, whether it's beginning of the offseason or yesterday. Like if it's yesterday and you know, OK, well, we know four of the five starters, assuming that Ochai and Jalen Wilson come back. I think Joe Yesifu is a starter from day one, David McCormick, obviously. And then take your pick of whoever you think that other guard is going to be, whether you think it's somebody like Dewan Harris or Bobby Pettiford, or you say, no, they slide Yesifu over to the point and Christian Brown remains a starter, right? Because he wasn't great to end the season. With the depth that they added, with guys like Zach Clements and uh, Sidney Curry and Cam Martin, and again, like some of these guys aren't going to even play. They're just not. Like the math won't work out. You're not going to go 10, 11, 12 deep. You're probably going eight deep the regular season, seven deep in the postseason. You felt like that was a top five, top ten team in the country because you have proven talent returning. With the trajectory that David McCormick finished the season at, with Ojai Baji coming back, he took such a massive jump from his sophomore to junior year that you would just expect another jump from his junior to senior year. Jalen Wilson was unexpected. Even though he started hot and sort of cooled off, he wasn't the same guy at the end of the season as he was at the beginning. He's a redshirt freshman, so you would expect with another year of experience under belt, his belt, he would improve. And you can't do this across the board. You can't just say, oh, look, every single player a year older, a year wiser, a year better. It never works out like that. But on paper, it would be really tough to name, you know, five, six, seven teams in the country that you would be higher on than Kansas heading into next season. Remy Martin takes you from, you're one of the teams to, oh, no, like you're one of the top two or three teams in the country. It's Gonzaga, Kansas, and take your pick. But Kansas is in that elite tier, right? This past season, it was basically Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field for the longest time. Then we said, okay, maybe Michigan's in that conversation. Maybe Illinois. 
deserves to be mentioned amongst them, but then it's everybody else, right? That was the conclusion we all came to at the end of the regular season. If we're starting that conversation now for next year, Kansas is a part of that mix. And who knows if we'll end up playing out like that, but that's why you make the deal. Because it's Kansas, it's Bill's self, you expect to compete for titles. Second place in the Big 12 ain't good enough. That is the expectations that you have laid out for yourselves. Unfairly or fairly, that's just the way it is. So being one of those teams is nice, and you would trust that with the coach like Bill Stealth, you're going to get the most out of him. Play up to your potential, play up to your ceiling, a phrase that he always likes to say. With Remy Martin, though, you're not just one of the teams, you're one of the favorites now. That's why you make the trade. It doesn't matter what Bryce Thompson becomes at Oklahoma State. You have one of the strongest starting fives in college basketball next year. And to couple that, you're going to be about as deep as you've ever been. I mean, find me a deeper roster. Again, we have a tendency to say that type of stuff in the offseason. Every year. We do, but if I just told you you have Dewan Harris, Christian Brown, and a top 40, 6'10", kid with a jumper coming off the bench and Zach Clemens. That, that's a good start. That's a pretty good start to having some depth. And then from there, like what? You need one of the other guys to hit? You need one of Cam Martin, Bobby Pettiford, KJ Adams to just be a contributor in year one? Massive improvements for KU this offseason. And that is... That is how the perception can change with one guy. Oh, you missed out on a lot of guys, too. You got the top guy. That's what Remy Martin just did for the perception of this offseason for Kansas basketball. We'll talk more about this with Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk. Get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's, you know, washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry. Unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's. Unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations. And there are a lot of them. Unlimited guest service. Most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. I think the number is now nine. I think that's the amount of, <laughs> I think that's the amount of additions that KU has made this offseason. We didn't even talk about it yesterday. Sorry, Dylan Wilhite, I believe, uh, walk on, added to the roster yesterday. So I'm not going to sit here and rattle off all the new additions, but it seems nearly, I mean, impossible. It doesn't even seem conceivable that you could add nine new players to. Uh, not just a Division One, but a Power Five basketball team. But that's what Bill Self and this staff have done. Uh, are they done? I'm not really sure. They got three guys, including the newest addition, Remy Martin, who they have to wait on to make a decision regarding the NBA draft. Let's talk all about it with Matt Tate of the LJ World and KUSports.com, who joins us now on the show. Matt, what does adding a player like Remy Martin do for the perception or the reality 
of this offseason for Kansas basketball? Well, I mean, number one, it's as huge as huge gets, I think. I, I think that, you know, he fills a lot of needs, and he's one player doing that. Uh, you get 118 games of college basketball experience, most of those as a starter at a very high level. Um, you, you get a guy who can score. You get a guy who can handle the ball. You get a guy who's quick and, and can put pressure going downhill on any defense. I mean, um, it, it just it, the list goes on and on and on as far as the, the value that he can bring to this lineup, which, which has a, a little bit of that anyway, right? There's some experience there, and, and, and there's some guys who can score and things like that. But, but um, now you've just got a guy who, who can kind of be the lead dog in all of that stuff and and uh and, and kind of stabilize everything so uh i i think it's it's it's, it's huge i mean you know th- there's a reason that that these types of transfers um or excuse me these types of accomplished players generally speaking don't end up available very often and that's because after they've had the career like remy martin has had seven seventeen hundred and fifty four points i mean Usually you're done, right? There's no, there's no more college basketball for you after you score almost 2,000 points in your career. Um, but with the rules changing and things being what they are in, in the world of transfers and, and things like that in the modern game now, um, every once in a while there's a player like that out there. And most people had this guy at the, at the very top of the list as far as players who entered the transfer portal and, and were most attractive and, and ranked the highest. And, and uh, you know, here, that, here after missing on a few, KU ends up landing the guy that everybody had at the top of the list. And, and so snap your fingers and, and the whole perception changes. You saw it with a lot of national guys yesterday. Um, most of them had KU in the 8, 9, 10 range in their preseason polls or whatever. Uh, off-season polls, I guess we should call it. But, um, you know, just adding Remy Martin, a lot of them bumped them up into the top five overnight, you know, three, four range. So I don't think you can talk about it long enough, how big it is. And, and, you know, it's gotta, it's gotta work and they gotta put everything together. And there's, there's still a lot to, to, uh, to, to, to be seen as far as how that all works, but at least in terms of just pure talent and, and the pieces that self now has to work with, there, there's, there's no way to look at it other than this is a really, really good team on paper. And, a team that, that, you know, should be a contender from start to finish. This is a guy who still has his name in the NBA draft. I know he's not popping up on a lot of mock drafts. He don't, not somebody who screams NBA player, just consider six feet, um, not a freak athlete, not super long, right? The things that would lend itself to winding up on a lot of those NBA draft boards. Do you think KU offers the scholarship to him unless they're confident that he's going to wind up? Because you're already waiting on two guys' decisions, Ochai and Jalen. Do you think they would they would offer it? Would it be worth the flyer, even if, if you think that there's a chance he still goes to the NBA? Or do you think you only do this if you're pretty confident he winds up playing for you next year? I, I definitely get the question, but I, I think you offer either way. I mean, even if he doesn't end up coming, which I don't think is even in, in question, I think you he'll don't. be here. But, but, but even if he, if, if he doesn't end up coming – you know, for recruiting purposes, for the future, for, for all of those things that matter as far as perception, you know, it, it looks good. It looks good to land a guy like this, no matter, you know, who you are or what program or what the outcome is. So I, I think, you know, I think it's a, you said it best, it's worth the flyer for sure. But, um, you know, I talked with him last night and, and, you know, I certainly, anything can happen. And he made it very clear that he's going to still go through the process and try to get feedback and, 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 you know, 
see where he stands with regard to the NBA status and things like that. But but in talking to him, I tell you what, he 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 did not in any way, shape, or form seem to me like a guy who is who is planning on playing somewhere other than KU next year. I mean, he was he was geeked, man. I talked to him for about ten minutes, and um, he's he's super excited about the opportunity. He's pumped about the chance to come to this program. He's pumped uh, about the opportunity to, to play and, and learn under self. Um, you know, he, he talked about his, his freshman year when they came in here and won, and he had a big game, and uh, he said he fell in love with KU that day. I mean, just the idea of that building and that fan base and the experience and the feel inside Allen Fieldhouse, I mean, yeah, he, he's he's – He's not been able to really shake that the rest of his career. It's always something that stuck with him, and now he gets a chance to to play in it. And uh, you know, provided he does make it to town, that that that'll be his his twenty games or something next year, right, or twenty five or whatever it is. And 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 you know, he he also was. It's, it's not like KU was completely foreign to him before that either. I mean, KU recruited him hard out of high school, and Curtis Townsend was 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 really connected with him back then, and, and he he called it full circle the opportunity to to end up finishing your career playing for a guy that you were close with on the, on the first round of recruiting out of high school, uh, out of California. I mean, that, that, I think it's cool that he's looking at it that way. And he sounds jacked, man. He, he really does. He, I was, I, I expected to kind of talk to a guy who, like I said, he scored almost 2000 points at Arizona state. You know, he's a, he's a kind of a household name in college basketball. I kind of expected to talk to a guy who, who, uh, Maybe was like, yeah, I'll do this, but I don't really have a ton of time for you because I'm kind of a big deal. And boy, it was the complete opposite of that. He was energized, enthusiastic, friendly. Um, yeah, he he made made time for it. He was elaborating with his answers. I mean, he, he just he just seemed like a guy who's who's really really looking forward to this uh, to this opportunity. How weird is it though when you look at the sort of roster construction? And it's not to say that this isn't somewhat expected for there to be an overhaul, so to speak, but. If if Jalen and Ochai come back next year, then you, you're on one hand returning three of your top four players in your starting lineup between Ochai, Jalen, and Dave, but you have essentially completely, completely changed the roster around them. And it's not that it's not that you haven't improved. I think you would probably take this, at least on paper, this team over last year's team, yet it's going to be a little bit strange, isn't it? Just kind of figuring out what the identity of this team is going to be, how they're going to play differently. You're going to have guys returning whose roles may be drastically different than what they were a year ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think anytime you had nine newcomers and, and, and like you mentioned before we started talking here, the, the potential for a 10, um, you know, if, if Ochai or Jalen stays in, um, then and Remy still comes, you know, you'd have to fill their spot then, and and so that'd be a tenth, and and you know, I'm certainly not saying that's that's uh, that's impossible. I think it could easily happen. So, anytime you add that many guys, it's 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 definitely going to look and feel different and new. And and um, I talked to self about that a little bit. Um, I haven't written it yet, but but a little bit. Um, couple weeks ago and and i mean basically he 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 projected a, 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 a he projected himself as a person who's really comfortable with that because they get the whole summer this year you know they, they even though last year was guys that had been around kind of they were all if you think about it if you think back to that team you know um jaylen didn't play the year before he becomes a starter david mccormick was 
was, you know, a backup, and he becomes a, a starter and a guy they were pegging as a go-to scorer. Ochai, same thing. Yeah, he had played a, a couple of big roles on, on the two previous teams, but this year he was asking asked to be the leading scorer, kind of. And, and that, so that's a new role. Christian Brown going from freshman just trying to fit into starter. Uh, you know, there, there were, even though that team was familiar names and faces, it was, it was a bunch of new guys playing a bunch of different roles and new roles to them. So you consider that that team figured it out, put it all together, still ended up being a three seed, finished second in the Big 12, you know, one of the only teams to beat Baylor. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. And they did all that in the COVID year. You know, this this year, this team, they get to report in a couple of weeks. And they get to start working with Ramsey Nijem on off-season conditioning and things like that. And that's where you start building the connections and the relationships and the bonds and understanding what, what's expected and all of that stuff. And, and you know, Self, like I said, he, he made it – he made it seem when we were talking about it anyway, like he's not at all worried about that because that's plenty of time, June, July, August. I mean, that's, that's more time than they got last year by a long shot. And, uh, you know, it won't be easy. It's not automatic. You don't snap your fingers and say, Oh, there it is. You know, it's not, it's nothing like that. It, it does take some work. And those guys, individually are going to have to be committed to making it work and then then and then collectively as you know as as a group of dudes who who are representing kansas and the program and and you know decades and decades of history um they're, they're going to have to want to want to make it work for that reason too so you know they'll, they'll have to put in some work but that's what they do i mean that's what they do at every program and, and especially at a program you know at the blue blood level like ku so um I, yeah it's definitely going to be weird and and i think you're right looking at it from that perspective of of those those guys who were kind of the core of last year's team they look to the left they look to the right brand new dudes um but you know, they didn't get a ton from their bench last year, and and, and it, it doesn't necessarily uh, spell bad news by any means that they that they uh, have new faces there because I do think you're right. I mean, I think they've upgraded uh, at a lot of positions in a lot of ways, and, and I think this, this team uh, is worthy of, of being talked about as a top-five preseason team. And, you know, last year's team was, was in that, that, that ballpark going into the season, but – quickly showed throughout the season that, you know, that they weren't a, a top five team. They were a top 20, top 25 type of team. And that's how the season ended up. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun to cover. I'll tell you, like sometimes, you know, you get used to these guys. Well, I've kind of done that story, written, written that I wrote about Dave's transformation. Geez, what else <laughs> is there? Well, with this group, man, there is not going to be any shortage of new angles and new things to discover because, these are so many new players and, and, you know, we can get started right now. And, and I am, I'm, I'm looking more into to Remy's story, even though he may only be a one year guy here, he's, he's, he's certainly got a chance to be a, a big part of something that, that could be remembered for, for a long time if they make a real run. So um, kind of a cool deal. I, I can't ever recall anything like this. I mean, like, this is a guy who's beat Kansas twice, right? Like <laughs> that's so weird to me that they they're adding him and 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 he gets to just come over here and try it on this side for a while. So uh, I saw a tweet last night. I don't remember who it was from, and I I hate doing that. I wish I could give him credit, but I thought it was pretty funny that that they said you know um, Remy Remy is undefeated in his in his trips to Allen Fieldhouse, and he's likely going to stay that way. I mean that's that's where people that's where people feel this team is right now that that they have a chance to. To win a whole bunch of games. Talking to Matt Tate, LJ World, KU Sports here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. What is maybe the most interesting? 
position battle to watch, whether it's for a starting job, backup minutes. I mean, we, we don't know really what this rotation is going to look like beyond the usual suspects. What are you sort of most interested to watch play out? I think the three, man, to be honest with you. I mean, I, you know, like I think they're, I think the, the point guard spot and the, and the, and the two guard spot are, are, you know, pretty, pretty easy to decipher. I mean, I think Remy starts as your point guard without question. And, and then, you know, I, I think if, if Ochai's back, he's probably your two. And, and, uh, I, I think that, um, if he's not, then, then you, you can easily slide, um, Yusefu, the, the Drake transfer in there. And, and then you've also got Dewan Harris off the bench and Bobby Pettiford, who I think maybe people don't realize just how good he is and how much he can make an impact early, even even on this type of a roster with all this depth. Um, so you know those those spots are kind of handled right there. But, um, but but then you look at the three and and you got the opportunity to put Christian Brown there. You've got the opportunity potentially if you want to to, to play with a couple of smaller guys. If Ochai is back, he could play at that three spot. Um, you, you could bring Jalen Wilson down and play him at the three, um, even though I think he's probably your starting four like he was last year. You know, So um, after that, though, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty easy too, right? Dave's your five. You've got a couple of other big guys that can kind of back him up there. And, and then you've got the, the Cam Martins and Zach Clemenses that, that can kind of fill that, that four spot, the stretch four. So for me, it's the three. It's it's you know it's it's how much of a leap does Christian Brown make? How how I mean, how much more consistent can he be? Because if the answer is a lot more consistent as a scorer, as a shooter, um, then then there's your three right there, and and maybe you don't have very many questions at all. Uh, it's just a matter of getting guys comfortable playing together, the right chemistry, and and then you know kind of okay, well, here's our first unit, here's our second unit, and you guys do your thing. There's ten guys, you know. So um, it, 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 it's not quite as dramatic as, as what it seemed like going into last year, I don't think, where you were talking about how many different ways and, and the flexibility with, uh, with, you know, playing all kinds of different styles um, as last year's team gave. But, but, but I do think because there's so many talented pieces, it can definitely – it can definitely be a, a, a different group of guys, but I do think a lot of them fit more into this guy's a point guard, this guy's a three, this guy's a four, this guy's a five. I mean, I think that's a little bit more clearly defined right now anyway, but, you know, there's so much time between then and now, and and, and who knows exactly how that, that, that could all play out because there are some tweener guys. There's guys that can play two or three different positions, and, and so um, it may just be a matter of opportunity and, and finding out well, there's not much time for me at the three. I better learn how to play the four, which is, you know, a lot of what Marcus Garrett did early in his career, and that worked out very well for him, obviously. So, you know, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's probably the three. But, but, you know, yesterday morning, that that certainly wouldn't have been the answer. Yesterday morning, it would have been the point guard position, right? And yeah. and then boom, you plug this guy in, and 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 now that 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 position is is not only answered, but but solid i mean um you got the one harris there too and you got yusefa who can play that and you got pettiford who can play that i mean you you've got a really nice group and, and a bunch of options at, at the point guard spot all of a sudden he is mad tate check out all of his work and his coverage at kusports.com and the lj world appreciate it matt thank you man yeah, my pleasure, man. One more thing. I don't know. I don't know if people are worried about this, but the uh, the, the deal about the you know the Remy Martin 
liquor, right? Is that yeah, what it yeah. is? A liquor? Yeah, right? it's, uh, so, it's, I think it's a liqueur. Actually. There you go, liqueur. <laughs> so we, we did bring that up last night in, in talking with Remy, and it, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's pure, purely coincidence. It sounds like he was mm. named after his grandfather, who was named Remy now. Didn't go the step farther. Probably should have. Maybe his grandfather was named there after you go. that. But, um, but, but you know, again, that's kind of coming full circle to that to that thing I said a minute ago about diving into all these new guys' stories. You know that maybe we can get Dad on the phone and find out find out what his grandfather was. Yeah, and, and then and the liquors from, from like the 1700s, man. So it, got it goes time. back I got a ways. Some, I got some studying to do, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you, you've you've scratched the surface. We appreciate that, but you know, I'm not your boss, but you know. It's Feels a su- like it right suggestion, now. yeah, just a just a suggestion, just a a friendly listener suggestion or a, a reader suggestion. Just maybe uh, dig a little bit deeper, see what you can find. Just, just be thorough once in your yeah. life. All right, I'm okay. on it. I'm yeah. on it. I'll I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Nick. You Alrighty. guys take care. Alrighty, that is Matt Tate of the LJ World. He's Dirk Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Got a chance to hear from KU's new assistant coaches today including the new OC, Andy Kotelnicki. Got to get that name right. I was saying Kotelnicki. That was just a guess, though. I hadn't even heard anybody said it. Kotelnicki. And Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator. Kotelnicki sounds like a head coach or like a future head coach. And maybe that's just... Sometimes I feel snake-bitten. Like when you hear things... When you hear people talk intelligently about football now... You just think that they're the heir apparent to Andy Reid because comparing, you know, them to the predecessors at Kansas, and that's not necessarily fair to any of the assistants. It's an indictment on Les Miles, but and even before that, David Beatty, and even before that, Charlie Weiss. It was just really hard to get intelligent, coherent thoughts from. KU coaches, and then today we heard from Lance Leipold, we heard from Andy Kotelnicki, we heard from Brian Borland, and all three of them were just very impressive, very impressive. You know, Lance Leipold is not an overly, he's not an electric personality, I'll tell you that, but you don't need to be electric, right? And what is becoming more and more apparent, you know, the more you get to hear about his philosophy and the sort of blueprint that he wants to lay out of Kansas is that this is a big picture hire for Kansas, literally. Lance Leipold is concerned about the big picture. He's not going to be somebody who is overly involved in the schematics, in X's and O's, in calling plays. He doesn't strike me as a micromanager. And his coordinators said as much earlier today. That whole, just that whole relationship, man, that whole relationship between... Leipold, Kotelnicki, and Borland is really, really interesting to me because, I mean, as we mentioned, nine years, nine years that Kotelnicki has been the OC for Lance Leipold. With Borland, you're talking about 14 seasons dating all the way back to Wisconsin Whitewater. I mean, he was at Wisconsin Whitewater far before Lance Leipold got there. And earlier today, when we heard from Lance Leipold, he kind of spoke about that relationship and not just, I mean, it was a follow-up to a question about what the sort of threshold was for keeping guys from the Kansas staff on his new staff. And then he was asked about, well, what about the guys who you've been with? 
What about guys like Andy Kotelnicki and Brian Borland? What's the impact that they've had on you and what's led to them not just following you from Wisconsin Whitewater to Buffalo, but from Buffalo to Kansas? And here's what Lance Leipold had to say. I, I don't know. I, I don't know any other way to do it. I, I you know this is, the, this is the greatest team game there is, and and part of being a team is also a staff being a team. Okay, and uh, you know, no matter how many years that the the gentlemen that have come, I've like I said, I've known Rob Inell for for 30 years. We worked together for three years when I was a graduate assistant at Wisconsin. We worked six years together. Brian and I will be going on year 15. Okay, Andy and I on nine. Okay, Chris Simpson was part of our first national championship at Whitewater and then came and, and wanted to work with Brian and I again after being at Eastern Michigan and some other places. I worked with Scott Fuchs for three years. We are assisting coaches together. So when I know those people, I'm not, not just whether they're, they're a good coach or not, I know, I know them as people, husbands, fathers, and again, they know me. Jim Zabrowski was with us three years at Whitewater and then joined us for four at, at Buffalo. As I said, the other good part is that a couple of these guys worked and moved on and then came back. And I think that also shows some of the new staff members that it was a good enough working environment and a chance to be successful and work within their own way of doing it, some, some coaching latitude, but also a good working environment that they want to be a part of. And so having those people, as, as we just talked about, all the complexities that have to go on, they have to be the coordinators and the guys that have come with also have to be able to kind of spread the message about how I go about doing things as a head coach, how we go about running our program, what's our culture like, what's our expectations, the attention to detail and what our expectations are of coaches and players and support staff. So by having all those people here in on-field and off-field roles are going to be imperative for us to build this football program. It's fascinating to compare what you just heard to perhaps the mentality of the previous head coaches at Kansas. I mean, going all the way back to Charlie Weiss, it was less about what he thought, but more about what people thought of him. He had a tendency to alienate his assistants. I mean, there were guys who retired, who left simply because they couldn't stand to be around Charlie Weiss any longer. When David Beatty got here, you want to talk about the antithesis to Lance Leipold, David Beatty. David Beatty was a micromanager to the fullest extent because he was paranoid. He was paranoid that it wasn't going to work out. He was paranoid that he wasn't going to have any success. So his only way around that of just mentally coping with that was have, dipping his, his hands into everything. I'm just going to be hands-on with everything. The offense isn't working. I'm going to be the new OC. Paranoid, wouldn't wouldn't let freshmen, wouldn't let assistants speak to the media, wouldn't let freshmen speak to the media. So secretive. Who's the starting quarterback? What are we going to do? Oh, I'm not going to tell you. What was the quote he got Jesse on when Jesse asked him? Uh, Carter Stanley had, yeah, that had great a great game. game. Great game. Like one of yeah. very few. Like four, tu- football, yeah. like four touchdowns. And he's like, what would you think of Carter? You know, what would you think? That was a pretty good performance, right? And he's like, you're not going to get me on that one, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> like, he's just paranoid. And when somebody is paranoid, you lose faith in them. You lose trust in them because you're like, you don't know what you're doing. If you're scared, you don't even trust what you're doing. How should anybody else trust what you're doing? And then you had less miles, but you just didn't know what the hell was going on, right? Like, that's basically the breakdown of your last three head coaches. 
And when you have that, when you have the either the alienating personality like Charlie Weiss, when you have the sort of paranoid personality and the lack of faith in yourself in David Beatty, or you have Les Miles where it's like, do I even, is this guy even know what's going on? Like, is he running, can I, can I, do I have faith that there's a competent person running this program? All three of those have a direct, immediate impact on your assistance. And when that happens, you better believe the players notice it. If the offensive coordinator, for example, resents the head coach, you don't think the players pick up on that? At the very least, at the very least, we don't know how much success this coaching staff is going to have at Kansas. We have no idea if it's going to work. We don't even know what kind of offense they're going to, or we, we don't know what kind of, we know what sort of offense. I mean, Andy Kotelnicki talked about it. He said it's going to be a multiple uh, pro-style offense, right? But that also lends itself to not really being entrenched in one specific thing. At the very least, we know the coaches get along. We know not just the coaches get along, but they know how each other operates. And it's not just the OC and the DC, right? You're bringing in uh, Jim Zabrowski, who is the quarterback's coach, who worked directly with Andy Kotelnicki at Buffalo. You bring in Chris Simpson, who was the linebacker's coach, who worked directly with Brian Borland at Buffalo. You bring in a guy in, in Chris uh, Rob Ionello, who's been at Kansas before, and his official title, as announced by the university today, is general manager. What exactly does that mean? Lance Leipold talked about it, and he basically said, he, you know, he was my right-hand man. It kind of seems like for a guy who's taking a CEO approach like Lance Leipold is, like that's the CEO, then this is your president of football. Opera. Like the, the, just sort of the dude to, to bounce sort of ideas off of and philosophies off of. These guys know how to work with one another. So if they fail, they're going to fail together. If they fail, it's not going to be, I'm going to fire my OC because he wasn't running the offense I want. If I fail, I'm going to use my DC as the scapegoat because we gave up a bunch of points this season. That's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. There are going to be no scapegoats amongst these coordinators. They are in this together. And that, to me, I don't see how, how, even if you don't think that this is the right guy, which, I mean, most people unanimously think this was a really good hire for Kansas. But even if you don't, how could you not see that as a massive improvement just in terms of functionality on a coaching staff? Andy Kotelnicki, we got to hear from for the first time today, KU's new offensive coordinator, been with Lance Leipold for nine seasons, was asked, what stands out to you about Lance Leipold? Here's what he had to say. You know, he's great as a big picture thinker, and he's good at connecting the puzzle pieces. So when we talk about, like offensively, we talk about complementary offense, right? You know, you have plays that complement one another. He views that from a personnel standpoint really, really well. He says, here's Andy's strengths. You know, here are Brian's strengths. Here's, you know, Coach Ionello's strengths. And he, and he does a good job of piecing uh, personnel together. And then, of course, as, you know, as a head coach, he sits out there and looks at our personnel, you know, from the big picture and say, have you ever thought about lining this guy up out in the slot? Right? So those would be the two things that stick out right away, his ability to kind of connect the personnel and the pieces and then the, and then the consistently big picture thinking. Again, that lends itself to being a CEO. That lends itself to, I'm not going to come in here and tell you, wait, why don't you run more of this play? Why don't you run the toss sweep? Why don't you run the power toss a few more times? Or fullbacks. Yeah, why don't, you, why, don't you put, uh, why don't you put 42 on the field a few more times? It's not going to happen. Big picture. And by the way, offensive coordinator, not, who's been with a, a head coach for nine years, isn't going to follow that head coach 
to the next spot and then again to the next spot unless he thinks, yeah, this guy's going to kind of let me do what I want to do, right? It's empowerment. Guys, in, in any walk of life, name me somebody who likes it when their boss breathes down their neck. Name me one person who likes it when their boss comes in and says, hey, you know what? You should try doing this a little bit, actually. And they say, you know, he'll come in and say, have you tried, you know, maybe playing this guy in the slot? Try that. But it's not coming in and saying, you know, we need the fullback dive. You need that at least, you know, four or five times a game, obviously. Regardless of what else you have planned. It just seems to be a very open relationship. Brian Borland's been with Lance Leipold even longer than Koto Nicky. 14 seasons. And he was at... Wisconsin Whitewater for a very long time before Kotelnicki show, or before uh, Lance Leipold showed up. He told the fascinating. I had no idea. They grew up in neighboring towns. Lance Leipold and Brian Borland did at like rival high schools. And Borland said the first time, the first memory that he has of Lance Leipold is when he came over from his town to do like basketball camp in middle school. Like the first memory I have of of Lance is doing like the figure eight dribble drills between the folding chairs. What these guys? I mean, and he said it today. I'm I know I'm closer to the end of my coaching career than I am the beginning. Like almost forty years coaching. Fi- I mean, find me another OC who remembers his head coach doing dribble drills in middle school because they went to neighboring high schools. Like. That's a bond a little bit longer than, oh, I just like the way he coaches, right? I just, I like how he treats me. I mean, this is, they know each other. This is beyond coaching. This is beyond football. But again, he was asked the same question. What stands out to you? What what makes that relationship special? Why would you hitch your wagon to this head coach? Here's what he had to say. What I think about Lance is that um, he, he has tremendous vision, right? So vision for... Um, what can be but there's lots of guys that have to me have vision but they've got no basis in making things happen it's pie in the sky kind of vision i mean uh, we should do this we should do this he's he's got the vision but he's also got feet on the ground practicality to to get things done and and there's a there's a formula for that i, I can't exactly say what the formula is i just know there's a formula that we use that we have that comes from him that works and it's worked it's worked every year I've known him. It's it's worked, and so um, I think that's what separates coach from a lot of guys is that, you know, he's he's got the vision, right? He's got the perspective, but he's also got the means and and the know-how to make those things happen. That's interesting to me because you know that every single coach who interviewed for this Kansas job pitched the vision. Every coach who's ever interviewed for any head coaching job, here's my vision. Here's why I'm the guy. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to turn it around, and we're going to do this, right? That is a vision. But as you just heard there, Brian Moreland says it's not just about we're going to do all these things. It's and here's how. Right? That's the big part. I mean, everybody pitch. You can go back, listen to the Lance Leipold press conference, listen to the Les Miles one, the David Beatty one. They're all kind of saying the same thing. We're going to get better, right? We're going to, we're going to win football games. We're going to do it the right way. We're going to recruit. Uh, we're going to go out there and uh, we're going to win football games in the Big 12. We're going to uh, give Kansas fans the product that they deserve. They're all kind of saying the same thing. They've all had different methods for how to go about it and all of them have been un- unsuccessful wildly unsuccessful keon kinner hashtag we will win we will win no you won't 
Brian Borland said it's happening. It's, he has the vision and he has the basis for making it happen. Well, how do you do that? As Borland said, it starts with the little things, the day-to-day consistency that Leipold brings. You know, obviously he's got personality too that, you know, that he has. But, uh, you know, uh, one of those things about Lance, I think, is the consistency, the, the daily consistency of things. Maybe that's part of the formula that I'm talking about, right? It's the, it's the day-to-day uh, process of uh, he's unrelenting on those things, right? So, so what is important, it's, it's important every day. And like he's not going to, you know, he doesn't do a whole lot of step in the defensive room and tell us, hey, you ought to be doing this, you ought to be doing this, rarely if ever, right? In a game, he's not, he's not saying those things, but he's, he's noticing all the other little things, right, that, that will help make you a, a good defense and a good program. And he's focused on those things, and uh, um, again, it works, so... I kind of hate the corny cliches, man. Like when you you hear everything, but you hear it in politics a lot, just like people all repeating the same thing, like pundits. Like when when Joe Biden got elected to president, they said, oh, and the adults have entered the room again." You know, and it's like okay, it's creative, but doesn't it kind of have that feeling now with Lance Leipold taking over? Like okay, the adults are here, and you can just sort of trust that. Yeah, it's not going to end. I mean, this is a bad football team this year, right? This is a team that's going to win one game, maybe. Yeah, have we seen the Vegas over-under? Has that come out yet? Uh, it can't be high. I was actually talking about wasn't this. Wasn't it one and a half? Yeah, my my uh, dad was in town this weekend. We were talking about this. He was like, next time I'm in Vegas, I'll be really interested to see what that number is. We were trying I thought to it was out one and a half. Be. I don't know if they released it. Uh-huh. Anyway. But this is a one or two win football team, maybe yeah. best case scenario. But it's weird that I can still just look at the guys who are in charge and say, uh, I don't know that you're going to figure it out. But I trust that you're the type of guy who could, the guys who could figure it out. If there's a if there's a, a staff out there, conceivably that could find a way to make it work at Kansas, I assume they'd be something like the guys you just heard from. I'm not getting I'm not trying to get too caught up in press conferences and quotes and sound bites, but it's hard not to when comparing them to the guys who we're used to hearing those sound bites from. We'll talk more about KU uh, football, maybe some hoops as well with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. He'll join us coming up here in a bit. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Breaking news, this important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. What makes this trimmer different than all the other trimmers? Well, let me tell you. A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard lengths with sizes 1 through 4. And looks-wise, it's sleek with a two-toned matte and gloss finish, even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Get 20% off and free shipping 
with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code RCST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Just when I was starting to give up hope, just when I was done paying attention to anything happening in the transfer market on the recruiting trail, KU goes out and gets a pretty big fish. Remy Martin, who I would imagine had he entered the transfer portal to start the offseason, would have been right up there with guys like Oscar Shibwe or Marcus Carr as the very best transfer options on the market. Let's break it all down with Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, who joins us now on the show. If you look at all the guys who are out there available this offseason, where would you put Remy Martin, despite the fact that he waited longer than most to actually put his name out there? You know, he'd, he'd be at or near the top, Nick. You know, may, maybe I would have Marcus Carr above him. It, it would be pretty close, though. And, and I think even beyond that, I think when you look at, at Martin's fit for Kansas, I'm not sure that there's a player out there on the transfer market that really seemed like a, a better fit. And so if you had, you know, a big board of, of just the best transfers out there and you had a separate big board that said, okay, this is the best transfer list for Kansas, you know, Remy Martin would probably be atop the second list. So he's still in the NBA draft, Kevin. He's got a, about a month and a half to make his decision whether or not he's going to stay in the draft or withdraw and come back to school and join Kansas. Based off what you know either about him or, or, or the draft, what do you think the chances are that he actually does end up leaving his name in the draft? You know, I think there's a pretty good chance he, he winds up at Kansas and, and for, for multiple reasons. Uh, obviously, people have gone you know, the, the route that Remy Martin has gone and still wound up keeping their names in. Guys like Ray John Tucker, you know, last year was a was a Kansas target who, who wound up doing that even after committing to was it Memphis, I believe. Mm-hmm. So you, you look at uh, you look at Martin though and the way that NBA scouts see Martin, and it's not necessarily that they see him as a bad player, but NBA teams look at players as types, right? And, and one of the things that they want from a point guard is, you know, you really need to be able to shoot the ball well enough to, to really space the floor. And that means, you know, shooting the ball well, even beyond the college three-point line. It means shooting at a really high level if you aren't going to bring certain physical tools to the court. And I, I think that's where Martin maybe gets shortchanged a bit when you look at, at some of the other top point guards in this draft, you know, he's six foot, he has a six foot one wingspan, you know, he's going to be outsized against a lot of point guards in the NBA. A lot of them are going to be bigger than him and just as athletic, if not more so, you know, the point guard spot in the NBA has really become a spot where a lot of the league's best athletes kind of reside at that position. And so when you add all that together, I think, the odds of Martin sort of putting himself in a strong enough position based on his current resume and what he's put up there, I don't know that he gets to that point. And yet at the same time, if you look at what he could do if he were to come back to Kansas and and maybe up that three-point percentage a little bit, hit 38%, maybe hit 40% from three, you know, and operate on a, on a winning team, I, I think there is some upside for him if he does come back and a chance to – to kind of propel himself up, dry, up draft boards, excuse me, a little bit. How, how's the fit 
with him at Kansas, kind of projecting what the, the rotation may look like next year. I'd imagine he comes in right away and, and is that starting point guard. But when you look at the players that are going to be around him, how does that fit for you? Oh, gosh, Nick, after the, after the USC game, you know, I know we talked on, on this very show, Bill Self's comments really stood out after that game where he said we have to get more athletic and we have to get, you know, we have to get bigger and longer. And when you look at all the post options and everything that, that Bill Self has landed in this recruiting class and through the transfer market, there's no doubt that Kansas has sort of this overflux almost of big men, and a lot of them bring a lot of different skill sets and versatilities to the floor. And then you look at the backcourt, and that's where Martin comes in, and that's where Daniel Yasufu comes in. Both of those guys are really athletic, Nick. They're really quick. They have no problems, you know, getting that first step by the guy who's guarding them, taking a, a screen and really being dynamic in terms of getting into the paint. And I, I think the two of them can play together because they're going to be able to out-athlete just about anybody at the college level that, that you put out there. Uh, I think the other interesting thing is, Nick, when people look at, at Remy Martin's three-point shooting percentages, and I know we just talked about it, Remy Martin was actually an excellent catch-and-shoot guy. It was just that not a ton of his shots came, came in those opportunities. But if you look at... What Kansas had last year, you know, a lot of times the ball touched the paint either immediately, you know, through the drive or through getting the ball to David McCormick. The defense starts scrambling. You start moving the ball around. It's not that you need your point guard to come down court and make a 25-footer for him to be successful. I think what Kansas really wanted to get was somebody that when that ball movement was coming around, somebody that felt comfortable you know, catching and shooting the ball when they didn't have, you know, six or eight feet worth of space. And I think that's something that maybe people undersold with Martin is last year he was a terrific catch-and-shoot guy. And so if he gets those opportunities, he's not somebody where they can have his guy, you know, slough off into the paint and not be worried about him knocking down those shots. And so when you add that to what he brings in the pick-and-roll game, what he brings in terms of creating shots for other players, and the fact that you've got a primary ball handler who can play next to Yusufu and sort of allow him to be that secondary ball handler. I think he checks just about every box. So you kind of mentioned the, the catch-and-shoot numbers, which should be exciting for a team that lacked in shooting. With a guy like that, he's played four years of college, he's had a ton of success, two-time first-team all-conference in the Pac-12. How much should fans realistically expect him to adapt and, and change his game to fit into Kansas versus, okay, this guy's gotten to where he is playing his game. You should sort of expect him to be the guy he's been for four years. Well, it's interesting, Nick, because I think he's been different guys across those four years. I, I think when you look at who he was as a sophomore, he was more of a penetrate and pitch guy. I think that year he was over five assists per game. The last couple of years, they've needed him to score, and he's had 19 or so points per game. And so when you when you look at that, it's not necessarily, I think, that you look at him and say, okay, it's this guy's nature to just go out and gun. I, I think that Remy Martin can fit into different things and what they need, and I think that's a key, too, because I don't know that they're going to need him 
this next year to score 19 points a game. It might be better for Kansas if Remy Martin was a 13-point, five-assist guy. And he's shown that, that he can do that, that he can be that guy who can score when they need him to score. And yet at the same time, he's also somebody that can put defenses in really bad situations with his ability to penetrate and pitch. And so uh, I do think we're going to see a different version of of Remy Martin than, than what we've seen probably the last two years. And I think the reason for that is his fit with Kansas is going to be different than what it was at Arizona State. You know, I've seen a couple people say that he should be a preseason all preseason first team All American. And honestly, Nick, I don't know that he's going to have a chance to produce to that level. I don't know that it's in his best interest or Kansas's best interest him to come out and put up those kinds of numbers with the guys that Kansas has and the depth that they have. And so I do think that there's a very real chance that we see, you know, maybe him look a little bit more like he did his sophomore year in terms of being more of a distributor. And yet at the same time, maybe, you know, kind of upping those efficiency numbers a little bit from where he was just because the caliber of talent around him is going to be significantly better. Talking to Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. If I would have given you the option, or if I would have given Bill Self the option before the offseason began that you would trade the rest of Bryce Thompson's collegiate career, however long that would last, for what we know is just going to be one season of Remy Martin, do you think he would take it? Would you take it? Yeah, I think I would. And the reason why is when you look at, at this year's team, I don't know that they needed a, a two guard as much as they just sort of desperately needed a, a primary ball handler and, and point guard. And, and so I think when you look at that, not just from this year, but there was a chance that if Bryce Thompson came back and had a really good year this next year, and I'm not saying, you know, an all big 12 year, even if Bryce Thompson Fixed the shot, averaged 12 or 13 points a game. I'm not sure he returns for his junior year. And even if he did, you're still in a spot where you're looking for a point guard a year from now. And so I think when you put all that together, the other big thing is, too, you know, it's it's funny. When you look at the NFL, and I know this is kind of roundabout talking point, but there's a lot of discussion about, the worst thing in the world to be is eight and eight or nine and seven every year, right? Because you're not really getting a chance to, to improve your team. And even though it stinks to say, go three and 13 for a year or two, if your team comes out 13 and three or, or ends up having a chance to make a Super Bowl run at the other end of it, I think you'd always rather take that swing to have a chance at a national championship. And I think that, when you add Remy Martin into what Kansas could potentially have coming back, all of a sudden you're talking about a team that I, I think I would rank Nick Kansas right at about number three or so heading into the season. And there's certainly the possibility to, to ascend from that spot. And so all of a sudden by landing this point guard and not necessarily by having Bryce Thompson on your roster, you know, you're in a spot where you do have a chance to, to swing that bat in the national title and, and potentially bring another one back to Lawrence. What about the rest of the team? Because we had sort of our thoughts on how KU would look after bringing virtually everybody back. Like, you knew they were going to lose Marcus Garrett, but you bring back the other four starters, you kind of figure it's going to be much of the same stylistically how they play. 
This has to change things a bit. Specifically, who do you think this affects most? Who is going to be most impacted by the arrival of, of Remy Martin, for better or for worse? You know, I, if if I were Ochai Abaji, you know, I I realize you're testing the waters and everything, and, and want to make the most of that opportunity. But I would be pretty excited about coming back to school because. I think that Remy Martin and Yusuf are, are two guys who would fit really well with Ochai Abaji in terms of generating open looks for him. And, and if you look at, you know, the way that Abaji's built, the athleticism, I think playing the three next to those two guys helps him because it helps him get to a spot where his athleticism really plays well. And, and then you add in the fact that, hey, I'm going to get more open looks because these guys are going to stress the defense more. I think it changes a lot for him. I think if Jalen Wilson can add some consistency to the outside shot that looked really good at times this year and and not quite as good at, at other times, I think Jalen Wilson has a chance to, to take a major step forward. The guy that's going to be interesting to me in terms of I'm not entirely sure how it affects him, Nick, is David McCormick because – I think that maybe the best thing for for Remy Martin and for Daniel Yasufu is for David McCormick to play the part of a, a pick-and-roll type guy, and yet we've seen a lot of his production come just off of straight post-ups and, and things like that. If David McCormick is asked to be more of a roll guy, more of a pick-and-pop guy, you know, does he find success in that role? Because you're talking about somebody that – at least before Remy Martin came in, you know, McCormick was potentially a favorite to, to be Big 12 preseason favorite player of the year. All of a sudden, you're maybe asking his role to change a little bit, and it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. Do you think the efficiency could go up with McCormick not being asked to sort of be the guy on offense? Yeah, I think so, but I also think that he was fairly efficient down the stretch last year. And so that that definitely uh, definitely helped. A lot of McCormick's issues, Nick, were were as much confidence related, I think, as anything. And once once he started scoring and the ball started dropping, you know, he was playing really well at, at the end of last year. And I know you and Derek and I talked about it. He was vastly outplaying Derek Culver at the end of the year, and, and Culver obviously wound up landing that All Big Twelve spot on the on the first team rather than David McCormick. But at the end of the year, I don't know that there was really an argument that McCormick at that point wasn't the Big 12's best big guy. And so I, I do think it, it could affect his his numbers. It, it could get him some some chances to catch it in really advantageous spaces. If, if he takes to the rolling well, if defenses try to give too much attention, maybe he's catching the ball within five feet of the basket a little more often. And so there is a possibility that that could go up. There's also the possibility that, you know, McCormick sticks his foot in the ground and, and tries to take a few more 17-footers as a pick-and-pop guy. And so I do think that's one of the ones where you don't necessarily know 100% how that's going to go. And yet at the same time, I think it's really hard to to look at the additions of players like Remy Martin and and say that they were a bad thing or that they won't help the team win. Where you got to have Kansas at in your preseason top 25? I, I think I'll have them at three. Um, so I have Gonzaga at number one currently. You know, Gonzaga's got a really loaded roster yet again and and went out and, and basically reloaded with a, a great recruiting class in addition to, 
you know, they, they had some guys who weren't even playing last year that were top 100 guys that, you know, as we've seen historically at Gonzaga, those guys develop there. And a lot of those guys are, are going to have a chance to step up this season. Number two, I like Michigan a lot more than, than most people, Nick. And, and, you know, they bring back several key guys, including Eli Brooks, Brandon Johns, you know, Hunter Dickinson, and they add in the number one recruiting class in the 24-7 sports composite. And so I think there's a lot of talent there. I like the fit there. I've always loved Devontae Jones from Coastal Carolina. For them landing him via the transfer market to – to go play point guard, I, I think is is really going to make that team go, and, and I think Kansas is is right there at number three in the team in consideration there with them. Depending on what Johnny Juzang does, is UCLA, and so uh, I think right now I would probably go with Kansas three, UCLA four, but I think those those two are are probably fairly close to each other. He's Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work at 247sports.com. Hear him here on Tuesdays on Rock Shock Sports Talk. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks a lot, Nick.